This episode is full of spoilers and contains some not-so-super language. Citizens, welcome to the Fortress of Potitude. I'm Dave Michaels. I'm Brian Betts. And we are the Cape Podcasters. And this is the show that's going to talk about an alien John Candy seducing an alien queen of something, and they're both animated, and it's real weird because the John Candy's also like an 18-year-old boy, but right. then he's not. And there I can't explain how much cartoon and the so John much Candy John is. Candy. Holy shit, this movie. It's uh it's out of this world. Literally? At points, I think. <laughs> Chris Trigger, literally, <laughs> out of this world. <laughs> Today, we are talking about 1981's Heavy Metal, directed by damn near everyone. Famous director Gerald Potterton. Is he like the overall? Took the helm on it. Okay. And then, you know, also featuring John Bruno, John House, Julian Harris, Jimmy T. Murakami, Barry Nelson, Paul Sabella, Jack Stokes, Pino Von Lamsweird. And Harold Whitaker. Time out. Pino Von Lamsweird yep. is, an, is a human name. That's... Of a human being on this earth. Somebody put that as their name on this movie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That checks out for all the reasons. Yeah. Because of this movie. <laughs> have you ever seen Heavy Metal? Absolutely not. And I'm, I'm not sure I still have. Uh, that's <laughs> the right way to look at it. This one isn't so much a, I've seen it, it's I've experienced it. Yeah, I lived through it. <laughs> and I lived to tell the tale. 86 minutes long. And somehow feels longer. Oh, yes, it does. <laughs> and this is a weird one because this is one that's been requested a lot. Yep. And my question is, why? That is the perfect <laughs> question to that. You it's guys. one of those, we want to hear you talk about heavy metal. And it's not even like, it's entertaining. It's that it's a challenge yeah. more than anything. I think it's like a, I want to see how you're going to talk about heavy metal. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's an anthology of animated films that are just raunchy as all hell. It's true. And it's based off of Heavy Metal Magazine was it French comics? Yep, it's French. And that's how it qualifies. So so, so French. Good. And yeah, that that's how it gets in. It's uh <laughs> It's like a French magazine that features comics. That's it. It's all it is. And that's what this movie feels like. That's also <laughs> correct. I want to apologize to Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman Returns. Yes. She is no longer the horniest thing that's ever been discussed on this show. No, far from it now actually. Just want to get into it. I think the, that's the best way to okay. just tear off the Band-Aid and, and dive right in. Oh, boy. The movie starts off with an Elon Musk wet dream <laughs> about an astronaut flying around space in his Corvette. Because. Because, and because. a lot of people said, I, I don't even know if Elon Musk said it himself, but got to be inspired. Hey, I mean, it sure Tesla seems like it. Stunt. Yeah. If not, uncanny. Right. <laughs> The astronaut successfully lands the car back on Earth in a canyon somewhere. Somebody should tell Elon the trick is parachutes. More parachutes. That's right. Exactly. Then the astronaut drives home. Dude doesn't even take off his helmet. Doesn't need to. It's awesome to just drive with an astronaut suit on. Yep. 
And these have been the opening credits. Oh, yes. <laughs> we go into part one called Grimaldi. And this is kind of the setting for the whole anthology. Right. The astronaut arrives home and he tells his daughter he has something to show her. He opens up his space briefcase to reveal a green glowing orb, not played by Marlon Brando. Correct. I couldn't believe it either. And it immediately vaporizes the astronaut, who apparently, his name is Grimaldi. Yep. That's that's where they got. Then his daughter watches the whole thing. And yep, she's like, oh, dad's dead. That's not good. Nope. On to the next thing. Then the orb, played by Percy Rodriguez. Played, played by. Or voiced by. <laughs> whatever you want to go with. Not only is it not played by, anyway, it's an orb in a cartoon. Yep, it's a cartoon orb played by Percy <laughs> Rodriguez. Marlon Brando's wet dream. Yeah, there it is. We're hitting them all That's early. That's it. It's just wet dream is going to be a, a thing in this, unfortunately. It is. And you did it. You are the one who established I this. I apologize. Or maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> the orb introduces itself as Loch Nahr, the MacGuffin of all evils. That's right. It's come to kill the girl, but first it has to monologue at her for about an hour and a half. Roughly an hour and a half. So we go into our first story called Harry Canyon. Get it? Do you get it? Yup. Sure do. That's uh Good. That's a joke about privates. That sure is. Don't tell anybody. I won't. Trust me. <laughs> Between me and the smut on this movie. <laughs> There's so much of it. There's so much smut. Lochnar is going to tell this girl about all the evil shit he's done throughout history, and he's going to start with New York City 2031. That's right. We're going to start this history lesson in the future. Right. Corbin Dallas, I mean, damn it. <laughs> Harry Canyon, voiced by Richard Romanus. He's a taxi cab driver in this futuristic film noir New York City. It's a thing. Why do you think it's film noir? Uh, sty the style is kind of film noir-y. It's not the actual... The way it looks is not. I was going to say, the, the style is because it does have that voiceover quality from right. now Harry Canyon is now yeah. stealing the, the Loch Nahr part and he's telling the story, <laughs> which is all sorts of bizarre. Which is, I have questions already. Tons, tons and tons. The neat thing about the future is that cabs have disintegrator rays built into them. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, if you try to rob your, your cabbie, he can vaporize you. And he does. And he's he, got like a pedal underneath the pedal, which I don't know how that works. I don't know. He like lifts the- the gas with his foot and there's like a red button under there and it's one of those like but if you step on the gas at all that's gonna hit the button yeah for sure you're gonna like detail your back seat without even knowing it. <laughs> maybe it was like a second secret pedal like in between the gas and the brake i don't understand how any of it works like a, a i don't super think clutch? we're meant to understand it <laughs> for what that's yeah worth. that's fair it's the future <laughs> it doesn't need to make sense we should say this episode will be coming out on 419 yeah if you're gonna watch this and listen to it Maybe give it a day. It's good advice, I think. Yeah. I think I let this movie get away with a lot because of things like that. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, cabs have disintegrator rays. we got a future, a great future to look forward to. I can't wait. Harry stumbles into an incident where he rescues a girl, played by Susan Roman, or again, voiced by, I don't know what we're I going with I don't know why here. you keep saying played by. I, I don't either. <laughs> Cartoons are not real, Brian. What? They did rotoscope. They did a ton. A lot. I read a Screen Rant article that's like, oh, rotoscoping was like a new technological thing. It was like cutting edge for this time. And did, I did not have the heart to say. Didn't they use it in the Lord of the Rings? They did use it in Lord of the Rings. They also used it in Snow White. Yeah. You know, state of the art. 
in in 1981. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Hey, man. Sometimes you swing and miss. It happens. We do it all the time. That's true. I thought, in fact, I'm going to lay down a fact right now. Rotoscoping. The IMDb variety? Nope. Oh, thank God. No, it's my own fact. Rotoscoping right. was first used in 2019. Boom. Got it. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Prove me wrong. I, oh, you already they, did. They can do that. You already did. That's right. <laughs> so this girl is running from a gangster named Rudnick, who's voiced by Al Waxman, whoever that is. Appropriately named for this character, he has just murdered this girl's father over something. We don't know what. We can no assume, idea. though, it's Lochnar. Sure. After the police are like, hey, it's going to cost you $1,000 a day for us to investigate this murder you're talking about, Harry's like, nope. <laughs> he says, like, you got something better to do. <laughs> <laughs> and he brings the girl back to his apartment. By accident. Because he puts her in the back of the cab, and she tells him where to go, and then she just falls asleep, and he's like, well, shit. I guess I got to take care of her now. Yeah. Like out of guilt or whatever. It's got like a fair of the Lilu Dallas <laughs> multi-pass variety. Interesting how that works out. <laughs> a lot of parallels between this story and that one. Oh, yes. When they get to Harry's apartment, she tells him all about her father's discovery, which, of course, is the narrator MacGuffin of the movie. Of course, Lochnar. And there's a bunch of people killing other people over it. It's a very important green orb. Sure. So naturally, after she drops the exposition, Harry goes to bed. Right. <laughs> like He's like, yeah, you can sleep on the couch, whatever. And he just passes out and he just says, fuck it. Mm-hmm. But then, of course. Of course. Because this movie needs to set its own tone. <laughs> the girl just starts stripping off her clothes and says, can I come to bed with you? And you see everything. Yeah. You just see it all. All of all of the everything. It's uh, cartooned. Oh, yeah. Some cartoonist was like, I'm going to do it. And How an- brave. Another cartoonist was like, <laughs> Oh, we're doing it? And then all the cartoonists on the movie were like, okay, let's do it. There's so many cartoonists on this movie because they had to use like three different studios, which was which was amazing at the time, apparently. Apparently, it was. But, I mean, now it's like a regular practice. But back then. Yeah. Right. Wow. Not only did they were using cutting-edge rotoscoping, but. <laughs> they were also employing multiple animation studios. Oh, my goodness. Trendsetters. That's right. So, yeah, she climbs into his bed and. He's going to, quote, give her the stars and stripes forever. That's correct. That's a term that you can now use with your significant (laughs) other (laughs) whenever you guys are feeling patriotic and horny. Yeah. And then she's gone by morning. So the next day, Rudnick, the the melty face guy who's the bad guy in this little story, he gets into Harry's cabin and is like, hey, I'm going to kill you if you you don't cooperate with us. He's like, she's gone. What do you want from me? Right. And then he gets a, a robot text message <laughs> where the robot just comes to his window and says, hey, that girl who we didn't even bother naming nope, for this story. Nope, girl. She's, uh, she's at the Statue of Liberty. She wants you to come meet her. Go there. And then he dies. And he dies. Thrilling. <laughs> he goes to the Statue of Liberty. Some other people chase him, but he, oh, he gets rid of yeah, them. He got away. He, he's got- By like, just driving. Rockets <laughs> in the back of his taxi. And... I like how he pushes a button that says, like, jet drive. Yep. And nothing happens. And he There's just no change. Drives the same. <laughs> <laughs> he gets to the Statue of Liberty, and she's like, "Yeah, I'm just gonna sell Lochnar to to Rudnick. Hey, he's offering me 300 grand for it, and that's a lot of dough. It's a lot of space units. So I'm gonna do it, and I'm gonna split the money with you, Harry." And he's like, "All right. I mean, like, you just called me over here to give me half the money for. All right, cool. I cool. guess I'll go with you. Sure." Then they go to a bridge, and they do the exchange, and. 
Rudnick opens up the <laughs> the thing and he immediately dies. It. He dis- he's disintegrated immediately. Which I guess does that establish a power for this thing? I you, guess so. Is if you touch it, you you're gonna you're gonna explode. Turn into sometimes a, a melty thing, right? And then maybe in the next story you won't because multiple animation studios and directors exactly. And <laughs> it's very Canadian though. This whole thing is very Canadian. Oh, absolutely. It's produced by Ivan Reitman. He is very much in his element here because yeah, he had produced a bunch of stuff before this movie, 1981. Most famously, Animal House. Before right. That. And also in 1981, he directed Stripes with Bill Murray and right. Harold Ramis. And then he went right on to this. It's a hell of a year. It is a hell of a year. And then three years after this, he's going to go and direct and produce Ghostbusters. It's amazing. Yeah, it is. I don't forget he's eventually going to do No Strings Attached. I will never forget <laughs> it. He's also going to do Draft Day. That's right. Draft Day. Right. The first film to ever give the Cleveland Browns hope. <laughs> That's not what you want ever. It's like, how do you know it was fiction? I don't know. The Browns were happy. <laughs> oh, you could tell the season hadn't started yet. Right. <laughs> we want to do a movie where the Browns are, are the winners. Right, where oh, the Browns well, make good managerial we, decisions. We, we, can't, we can't have the movie take place during the season then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. They're so bad. <laughs> Is Costner available? Existing? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Hey, want to be funny? Let's get the baseball guy to do the football thing. I love it. Get, you're talking Costner? Kevin Costner? <laughs> Shit, all right. Uh, Classic. Yeah. I imagine. I've never seen Draft Day. It is totally fine. So Harry and the girl are, are leaving the drop with the money, and, and she's like, oh, lucky for you, I got in the back seat when we left, because now I'm going to hold a gun on you and tell you I'm keeping all of the money. I really like Harry's reaction here. He's just like, you're really doing this, huh? Uh, but wish you wouldn't. All right. Okay. Time for me to step on my secret button. And he hits the secret button and disintegrates her. And uh, yeah, he keeps the money and he writes it off as a two-day ride with one hell of a tip. Boom. Story. And that is story number one. Harry Canyon, directed by Pino von Lonsweedert. I still can't get over how cool that name is. That is a name. Lochnar's going to keep rolling right into story number two. He doesn't stop. No breaks on that Lochnar. No. Well, that's because he's just a ball. That's correct. Where would you even put the breaks? An object in motion story-wise. Must. Must stay in motion story-wise. story-wise. Until it doesn't. <laughs> right. Science. Kind of. Sure. <laughs> this movie's fucking weird, man. This story's called Den, and it's directed by Jack Stokes. Dan is a nerdy teenager voiced by John fucking Candy. When you hear John Candy here, and it's like that young, excitable John Candy, man, is it a treat. Oh, it's so good. Dan finds a green meteorite in his yard, and he adds it to his rock collection because he's a nerd. But nerds do. It is. You know what else nerds do? Some kind of experiment with lightning in their bedroom. Right. That doesn't seem safe or advisable. No. But this is like pre, like, Good video games. Yeah, okay, I can see that then. So then you just play with lightning. I'm just going to set up some lightning rods <laughs> in my window of my bedroom and right. hope I don't burn my house down. Hey, man, science is risky. You got to go for it sometimes. It's true. Luckily, his little science experiment works, and his lightning rods catch the lightning. Sure, and the orb goes, I like lightning. I'll have some of that. Yes, please. And joins in on the fun, and it 
hurls the boy into the world of Neverwhere. Ben Franklin went the same way. Yeah, and on the way there, just like Ben Franklin, he transforms into a naked, bald-headed, muscular man who might be black. Or blue, or red. I, I don't. I am unsure what color this man is. I have no idea, but I don't think he's the same little John Candy white kid. No, he's not. But now it's a big boy, John Candy. So he changed his name to Den instead right. of Dan. Badass, right? And and still has that inner monologue of John Candy. Just what you want. I love it. <laughs> the first thing he does is grab a giant leaf because he doesn't want people looking at his dork. His words. Yep. His dork. This is a movie. Uh-huh. He witnesses a group doing some kind of ritual where they're about to sacrifice some naked woman into uh, Ulutek, which is just Cthulhu backwards. Hey, how about that? And they were like, ah, I don't want to come up with a real name. Why don't we just use this backwards and maybe nobody will notice? Everyone noticed. The people who submit facts to IMDb noticed, so everyone, everyone noticed. noticed. He rescues the naked woman. Because, uh, you know, you're an 18-year-old boy. You see a naked woman being thrown in a pool. I guess you're going to go, I guess I could save her. Sure. And she's so grateful. She's like, hi, I'm Catherine Wells. I'm from a planet called Earth. And he's like, I'm from Earth, too. She's like, oh, I'm from Gibraltar. Because that's where you have people be from. If you have to. Yeah. I like how she like explains, I'm from like the British territory, Gibraltar. It's like, <laughs> okay. All right, neat. Great. We were all wondering. That's an extremely small place, and that's where you chose for her to be from. <laughs> they wanted her to have a character. They gave her a name, for God's sake. That's impressive. I will give them that. And then to show him gratitude, she has sex with him. Yes. <laughs> so John Candy, animated, yes. is having sex and narrating it. And narrating it. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. I'm having sex with this chick. <laughs> They're interrupted, though, before he can... Well, let's not... No, go ahead. Nope. Before John Candy can get his Butterfinger in there. Yeah, before he does the fun dip. Exactly. (laughs) Before he gives her the whole left Twix, right Twix challenge. Yeah, before he reaches the center of the Tootsie Pop. Before he lays a line of Reese's Pieces leading directly (laughs) to her. Yeah, right before he pops his Pez. Something about mounds. Yeah. Something about mounds. That's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Because sometimes you feel like a nut. Exactly. You're getting it now. That's how I'm enjoying, though. Oh, you're right. Oh, well. Apologies to mounds everywhere. (laughs) Mounds don't have nuts. Oh, no, it is like mounds. mounds. That is exactly what that one is. Sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't. That's why Almond Joy's got nuts and mounds don't. Is that the saying? That's That's the whole jingle. Fair enough. I hate both. Hot take. It's not that hot of a take. Okay, good. (laughs) chocolate-covered coconut, and you can fuck off with that. that. You can fuck right off. That is the Cleveland Browns (laughs) of candy bars. And if you disagree, you can fuck right off along with Mounds and Almond Joy. (laughs) It's terrible. Yeah, uh, no. No, thanks. I would rather watch John Candy Nut than have anything to do with those coconut nut-filled abominations yeah something 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 snickers exactly yeah <laughs> nougat <laughs> ah, <ew. laughs> caramel drizzle disgusting <laughs> oh god i do not know why i'm so turned on right now oh god i'm super uncomfortable yeah you should be well we just went on quite a spree <laughs> 
It's still going. You fucking nerds. Oh, sorry. You're such an airhead and can't come up with them as fast. This is bad. We need to stop. My fault. I'm a (laughs) dum-dum. And I'm a smarty. (laughs) John Candy, animated style, gets walked in on. Yeah, by a bunch of ogre-looking minion guys who just, I don't know what this is. They're like part animal, but not really. I don't know. Either way, he's not happy. No, he's like, oh, come on, guys. (laughs) Of all the times to get walked in by ogres carrying rifles. (laughs) It's a bad time. It's probably the worst time. Yeah. They bring him to Ard, who is a guy, some sort of bulletproof dude that wants to lock Nar for himself. He's not bulletproof. He gets shot, and he has bullet holes. That's true. Which shows that- So he's Wolverine. Unfortunately, that's exactly what it is. (laughs) He's like a scrawny little Wolverine with long hair. I hate it. Who kind of changes the way he looks, depending on who's drawing him. Exactly. This is the worst offender of that, this one story. Yeah, I'll agree. People just change appearance all of a sudden. They don't care. But yeah, Ard wants the Lochnar for himself so he can do his own human sacrificing. He orders Den to go get the Lochnar from the queen, who was the one doing the, the earlier ritual. That's the one who just has the cloak that's buttoned up top, but she's just naked besides that. Yeah, and she's wearing the weird rock hat right. that covers her whole right. face. Den goes and he infiltrates the palace with a, with a team of the ogre minions, and he's immediately caught by the queen. And, well, actually, he catches the queen, really, if you think about it. That's exactly what happens. He's walking toward the Lochnar with his hands out in front of him, and he just grabs handfuls just of other gropes, things. Just gropes the just, queen. Yep. That's what happens. And then the lights go on. She's like, hey, what are we going to do about this? <laughs> I think I have to kill you now. Well, there's two ways this can go. <laughs> there are two ways. And, and she chooses both. It's going to go both ways. Which is insane. Because <laughs> she says, I'm going to have to kill you now. No, wait. Actually. <laughs> if you can please me. I might not kill you. And I love John Candy's reaction here because it's. Wow, 18 years of nothing, and then twice in one day. What a place. What a place. (laughs) This is the same guy who is trying to help Mrs. McAllister get back to her son for Christmas. Just, he's a jolly old Pokemon. Yeah. Here, he's talking about doing two animated chicks in one day. What a place. What a place. (laughs) This is what Charlie must have felt like in that chocolate factory. I hope not. I haven't been this turned on since the fat kid got sucked up the tube. We're not at that part yet. Oh, God, that actually does happen in this movie, <laughs> yeah, doesn't it? it does. Drugs are a hell of a drug. Drugs are a hell of a drug. This movie's full of everything. <laughs> this movie has it all, and we will we'll get there. While Den and the Queen are, are doing the dirty, Ard's ogre guys steal the Lochnar, and when the Queen finds out, she's very mad at Den. She's like, oh, you distracted me. While your minions took the thing, and he's like, lady, this was your idea. Right. And then he jumps off the balcony and lands on an alien horse. Of course. (laughs) As you do. (laughs) He races back to Ard, only to find that Ard is using Catherine for his ritual. Right. So he rescues her again. Uh, It's insane how many times this girl is just getting sacrificed. Yeah. I mean, if you're good at something, don't do it for free. I guess so. Catherine, get paid to get sacrificed. She seems to be like the best at getting sacrificed. Yeah. That's why everyone wants her. Right. The queen and her minions are riding bats and they're following Den. And she shows up and now she's going to fight Ard 
over the Lochnar. I love this conversation. That I was like, no, that's mine. Hey, no, give no, me that that's back. mine. No, it's no. mine. You bitch, give me that. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's like Saturday morning cartoon fights with bitch sprinkled in. Right. Den gets an idea because he sees lightning and he's like, oh, I could just recreate the experiment from my bedroom. And he throws a spear with a chain wrapped around it up into the ceiling thing. I don't know, some sort of overhang where Ard and the Queen are fighting. And then that gets zapped and it sends Ard and the Queen somewhere. Gone. Out of the movie. Yeah. That's it. They're zapped away either to death or another plane of existence. Who knows? Catherine tells Den... He should take the Loch Nahr for himself and rule the planet. And he's like, nah, I'm good. She's like, well, with that, you could go back to Earth. He's like, nah, I'll just hang out here. You know what? It makes sense. I get it, I guess. I don't know. I feel like I read somewhere that Dan is 18 years old. Right. I want to say that Catherine also transformed when she got to Neverwhere or whatever it's called. So how old would she be? 81. Wow. That's what I read. Okay. Yep. <laughs> so that that's a whole other level. That sure is. And you know what? I'm happy we didn't see that. Oh, thank God. I can imagine the animator who got that assignment. Like, what did I do wrong? Yeah, what? why do I have to draw this love fest between an 18-year-old and an 81-year-old? Right. You got Pino Van Schmarkle over there. <laughs> He's getting off on drawing sexy girls over there, and you're giving me the 81-year-old? Yeah, I don't, I don't want wait. Who's doing the voiceover for her in her monologue? <laughs> if John Candy's the 18-year-old. Can you imagine they got, like, Gloria Stewart on a Titanic <laughs> for it? Like, just flip the script. Amazing. Now, let me tell you about a time when I got rescued by a blue man or a black man or a red man. I don't know what he was. <laughs> he was, it was another world. All I know is that he threw a diamond at me. What? <laughs> Is that how that happened? Something like that. That's a better story than her stupid fever dream in Titanic. <laughs> Billy Zane's still looking for me to this day. <laughs> He's not going <laughs> to find you. I should say that Billy Zane has a better chance of finding her than he does another level of his career. Billy Zane, one of our best friends on Instagram. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> I didn't know, Billy. Yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> when did he like our stuff? Probably sometime after we did the Phantom. <laughs> Shit. No. I would like to issue a public apology. Everyone listening? Here you go. You can tell our best friend, Billy Zane, that I'm sorry and that you were the bomb and Phantom, just like Affleck. <laughs> it was the bomb and Phantoms. Oh. I wasn't sure we were going with that. There you go. Billy Zane, friend of the show. Yep. Let's move on to the next thing. Just like Lochnar. He's not stomping on the brakes. Nope. We did that already. We did that joke already. <laughs> He's going to roll right into Captain Stern. I think this one's my favorite of the bunch. Really? Yeah, because it was short. It is very short. And it's got Eugene fucking Levy in it. It sure does. This one is directed by Julian Harris and Paul Sabella. Right. We're in a space station now, so we're just moving all around with this green orb. And there's a crooked space captain, Captain Lincoln F. Stern. And he's dressed like Captain Crunch without the hat. Captain Crunch, but like a Gaston version. Sure. With that chin. Like Zap Bradigan. Like that type of... Yeah. He's got that that unearned... Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. With that machismo. Oh, yes. But with extra cheese. Exactly. Eugene fucking Leffy. I couldn't believe it. Unreal. Yeah. 
He's on trial for 12 counts of first-degree murder, 14 counts of armed theft of Federation property, 22 counts of piracy in high space, 18 counts of fraud, 37 counts of rape, and one moving violation. So naturally, he pleads not guilty. Yep, not guilty. (laughs) And his lawyer, Charlie, is like, why? Why are you doing that? Joe Flaherty! It's Joe Flaherty. Joe fucking Flaherty. And you might know Joe Flaherty. I might. From Happy Gilmore. Oh, yeah. You jackass. <laughs> you jackass. All right. He's a legend. That's why I gave him a fucking, I think. You just threw it out there. I did. Because you're having a ball. I was like, I'm agreeing with Dave on this one. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dangerous thing to do. Yeah, it is. It's how you get into weird candy sex jokes. <laughs> it sure is. Well, maybe don't have the last name Candy and that won't happen. I'll just have to worry about that anymore. That, well, I mean, I guess not actively worry. On account of... Because he, he has lost the ability to, to actively worry. Worry. And yet we're still doing it. We are still doing it, aren't so... we? <laughs> Stern tells his lawyer he has an angle. It turns out he expects to be exonerated of his many crimes because he bribed a character witness, which I don't think that's how court works. Nope. <laughs> his character witness is Hanover Fist. Hanover Fist. Hanover Fist. Uh, voiced by Roger Bumpus. Roger fucking Bumpus. There it is. You know him most as Squidward. Yeah, you sure do. I can't believe Squidward is in this. <laughs> Not only is Squidward in this, but, well, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Fist takes the stand, but he picked up the Lochnar earlier, which is the size of a marble now, which is convenient. This thing can change size at will. And it causes him to blurt out the truth during his his testimony about all the things that Stern's doing, like selling dope while dressed as a nun. I'm looking at your cheat sheet right now. Yeah. Like, this segment's loaded. Oh, yeah. Because there's also John Vernon. Mm-hmm. He's Dean Wormer in Animal House. Yeah. And there's a character named Regolian who's Doug fucking Kenny. Doug fucking Kenny. Writer of Animal House, creator of National Lampoon, writer of Caddyshack. Yeah, this is a big one. Holy shit. How'd they get all these people in, in this one, and then they threw garbage throughout the rest of it? I don't know. I, I feel like that's the way the cookie crumbles. Shit, man. They were like, hey, you guys like each other. Work on this one. You guys, uh, you're different. I guess work on a different one. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fist goes on a rant about the things that, that Stern has done, and he gets he gets so mad that he hulks out. Legitimately grows. Yep. And gets all strong as he rolls this weird green ball on his finger. Yeah, but he doesn't turn green. No, he doesn't. So I think we can keep our fists off the table on this one. I think so, too. And now you have a giant Hulk with the voice of Roger Bumpus. Correct. And I love it. It's amazing. And he's going to chase Stern throughout the space station, bursting through walls and causing general mayhem. Eventually, he corners Stern. And Stern's like, all right, I guess I could pay you now. (laughs) And he immediately turns back into his regular size. Right. That was... That's the gag. I love it. I love That's it so much. That's the whole gag. It's and then so he pays funny. him. He gives him the money. We watch him meticulously count out this money handed to him. Yeah. And then he just drops him. And he hits an eject button or something. Yeah. There's a trap door. And he and flies like you out. You just put a button on the button because that's the way this movie wants to play it. Button on the button. Fine. And you know what? Why give him the money if you're just going to kill him? <laughs> all right. Now your money's gone too. I don't think he needs it. Probably not on account of all that. I'm sure there's some extortion or something in there. Has to be. <laughs> Blackmail. Fist body burns up, leaving only his hand still holding on to the Lochnar. The creepy Lochnar. Which naturally segues us into our creepy story. 
It's called B-17. This is probably the most well-done story. It, of the, uh, is it? I think it's the most concise, well-told A to B story. Yeah. It looks great. It looks phenomenal. But it is also entirely rotoscoped, including the backgrounds on this one, too. Yeah. So they actually cared. They took the time. Yeah. We cut to World War II, naturally. A B-17 bomber nicknamed the Pacific Pearl is taking heavy fire, and everyone is dying. We're watching people die. Yeah. And it is violent. The co-pilot, voiced by Don Franks, goes to check on the crew, only to find them all dead. The whole crew. He also notices that the Lochnar is following the plane, just kind of hovering behind the plane. So he goes and he tells the pilot, who's voiced by George Tulliatos, and the Lochnar rams into the plane, which reanimates the dead crew, into a bunch of sky zombies. All but one. And you gotta kind of feel bad for that one. Like, was he dead already, or did he just get, like, awakened by it? The Don Franks one. Oh, well, he wasn't dead. That's just really unfortunate, then. Yeah. Because he does wake up, and then he's got sky zombie buddies everywhere. Everybody around him, just totally dead and in the sky. Right. And then they're gonna kill him, which is unfortunate. I I feel like he probably wishes he had died before that. Yep. Could have gotten zombied with his buddies. Could have, but instead he had to hold out and live for a little bit longer. It's unfortunate. The pilot flips the plane into autopilot mode and manages to parachute off, only to land on an island littered with other fallen planes. Which is actually a pretty cool sight. It is pretty cool. And then he's suddenly surrounded by undead airmen. Not what you want. And that is how that one's going to peter out. Oh, yes. That was directed by Barry Nelson. I like how you're saying who directed these things like we're going to give a shit. Yeah. Well, famous director, (laughs) everybody. Good for you giving credit, (laughs) something Stan Lee could never do. (laughs) Why you got to bring the man into this? Uh, Zombies. That's Okay, yeah. Man could hope. This is is pretty much uh, a what if, right? (laughs) Might as well be. Lochnar's not done. He's got more stories. So we're going to So Beautiful and So Dangerous, directed by John Hallis. Thinking back, this might be my favorite. (laughs) This one is also short, sweet, and loaded. Oh, yes. Dr. Anrak, played again by Roger Bumpus. He's back He's already. He's back, baby. He's a prominent scientist who has just arrived at the Pentagon for a meeting regarding mysterious mutations that are plaguing the country. At the meeting, he tries to dismiss the occurrences. He's like, ah, what we're, what we're seeing here is, is just, you know, normal, regular old stuff. And he's not very convincing at all, but everybody in the meeting's like, oh, oh good, okay. I feel so oh, much better. Oh, good, this is perfect. Whew. But then he sees the Lochnar on a necklace of the stenographer Gloria. It was played by Alice Platon. And she's just sitting across from him in the room, and he loses his shit. Yeah, he gets real turned on real fast. He gets super rapey. he pins her down on this conference table. Yeah. I'm probably lucky for her. Enter the Augustus Gloop shoot. Right. (laughs) (laughs) This giant... Shadow, like Independence Day style, goes over the Pentagon, and the Augustus Gloop shoot just shoots down through the ceiling. And <laughs> they actually sucks drill them a up. hole. <laughs> it's amazing. I love this spaceship. It looks like a combination, like a love child of Kirby and Pac-Man. I kind of saw Dead Mouse in this thing. There's definitely some Dead Mouse in there. It looks awesome. It's though. the coolest thing in this movie, I think, without a <laughs> doubt. And it's huge, and it's massive. And I can't believe nobody else saw this. Right, and. Dr. Anrak's going to get sucked up, along with Gloria. Yeah, Gloria's going to get caught up in it. And the ship's robot, voiced by John fucking Candy, (laughs) is really upset that Anrak has lost his cool and is malfunctioning. And he's like, what the hell is this? 
I'm real mad. It's going to take so much effort to fix this. And then Gloria lands and he's like, oh, everything's fine. John Candy, robot John Candy, who looks like a mouse. Yep. He's going to put the moves on Gloria. And it's so like him. First human woman we've seen in 10 years, and he's putting the moves on her. <laughs> That's what the aliens are saying. It's so good. <laughs> and he takes her back to his quarters. While Zeke, voiced by Harold fucking Ramis, and Edsel, voiced by Eugene fucking Levy, they're the ship's pilots. They got to find something to do now. <laughs> this is the most insane thing ever. Because <laughs> is it the Harold Ramis alien? Yeah, he starts like pushing around this cart and this powder starts falling out of it. It's plutonium Nyborg. Right. But there's like no explanation. None whatsoever. Behind it at all. And they're like, oh, is that good? And there's like, oh, we're going to need more. We're going to need more. It's like, okay. Yeah, might as well do the whole thing. Cruising around. It's like, is this like a weird alien like cleaning? Like a That's what I thought thing? it was. Yeah. And then it turns out. Nosedive. Nosedive. <laughs> <laughs> and the two aliens just start vacuuming up the floor with their nose. They are hoovering some schneef. They sure are. <laughs> we should note, these are the ship's pilots. <laughs> yep. And they are fucking flying two ways now. Yeah, for sure. The robot and Gloria, they do exactly what you expect that they're going to do because of what this movie's been so far. Right. And they're going to do it. They're <laughs> going to do it. I believe we cut to them having just done it. They've done it. And Gloria's feeling a little guilty because she's got a boyfriend back home. <laughs> John Candy Robot's like, oh, what? What? They don't know no more. Don't hurt them. <laughs> John Candy Robot's like, yeah, lots of Earth women feel guilty when they're pleasured by a whatever. He's, a machine. He's a machine. <laughs> All right. What do you do with I movie? I see what you're saying, movie. <laughs> but... And then the robot tries to convince Gloria to marry him. I like how they start having, like, relationship issues starting now. Immediately. It's so good. <laughs> and I like how quick she gets broken down. She's like, fine, I'll marry you, but we have to have a Jewish wedding. And I like how right away he's like, Jewish wedding? Oh, and he starts, like, malfunctioning. <laughs> and then, of course, she says, I forget, are you circumcised <laughs> to a robot? <laughs> What would that even be like? I don't know. It's like, but oh, Lefty Lucy just starts turning down low or whatever. <laughs> the wing nut falls off. <laughs> yeah, that's probably exactly what it is. Can you imagine if like later on in the relationship, she asked him to get like a robot vasectomy? <laughs> and then she asked him to like get it reversed eventually. And she starts feeling guilty about that, and he starts to, has to get it again. Yeah. And he's like, oh, bing, bang, bing, bang. I can't figure out what you want. <laughs> Uh, that's how robots sound. Big right? bang. Yeah, that's, big what, bang. that's what they say. <laughs> Sometimes. This fucking movie, man. <laughs> so the pilots are obviously too stoned to fly straight. So Zeke crash lands the ship into the space station, <laughs> and no one's hurt, and that's somehow the end of this. I love how Eugene Levy alien just goes, nice landing, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And you know what? I'm so happy we only have one more to go. Yeah, I'm, that's right. I'm ready. <laughs> I like that we that the Lochnar takes the time to to go back to the Grimaldi scene and be like, and I'm going to tell you one more story, little girl, before I kill you. As this girl's just trembling and She's the just whole in the corner time. like, oh my God, just get it over with. Right. And he's like, I have one more tale. <laughs> it's a nightmare, really, for her. Oh, absolutely. The last story is called Tarna. 
It's directed by John Bruno. The Lochnar, now the size of a giant meteor, crashes into a volcano, changing a tribe of human outcasts into mutated barbarians who ravage a peaceful city. Because that's, you know, that's what green barbarians do. That's exactly what they do. Straight out of the Green Barbarian playbook, really. Yeah, it's kind of expected. This movie's just not original at all. Just running through the motions at this point. Phoning it in. (laughs) Real frustrating to watch. The city council meets with the elder, who's like, hey, yeah, we should, uh, you know what we should do? We should get somebody to help us. (laughs) That's a good idea. We should summon the last Tarakian. I like how everyone's asking this man of like, who's the last Taraki? And he's like waxing poetic about it, but he's not doing anything about it. <laughs> he's, he's like, oh, I'll, I'll tell you about this Tarakian at length. <laughs> because it's more important than summoning her. Does she kick ass? She kicks oh, all the man, ass. It's so much ass. You wouldn't believe how much ass she kicks. Is she hot? God, oh, you've never seen anything hotter in your life. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. Is she going to get here today? Yeah, she's going to get here. Um, maybe. Right after we do the chant yes. thing that we, we should gotta... have started minutes ago. Right, right. We, we should have sh- done it. So they, they do that. They just start chanting. Chanting. That's it. And then this. And it's not even like it's a spell. They're like, Tarakian, Tarakian. come here. Yeah. Tarakian, come here. <laughs> Breaker 1 9. <laughs> The Tarakian warrior, Tarna, strips down and swims over to her armor, which seems so impractical, both the manner of getting to the armor and the armor itself. Right, but <laughs> this is actually like just gorgeous filmmaking. It's really well done. It's one of those things where we get this flying sequence Yeah, with just the terrain moving very slightly. Uh, the pace of this movie is severely slowed down to show Big off the time. animation style now. Yeah. It looks unbelievable. It looks really good. Even when she's swimming, you get this very pulled back shot of yeah. just this like silhouette swimming across. It's like, damn, they're going for it right this now. This is artistic. Yeah. What's happening? What happened to the <laughs> smut? <laughs> and then we get like a, a three minute scene of her putting on the Very the armor. slowly so and very slowly. erotically. Extremely erotically. Unnecessarily erotically. And you're like, oh, there's the smut. I have to imagine that the animators, at least one of them, tried to get these cells like back to his weird apartment when when it was was, all said and done. When I was putting together the cheat sheet, do you know how many cells of this movie I found for sale? How many? So many. Apparently, people just have cells of this movie, and they just put them on eBay whenever they're feeling like it. Say, animation cells are a fascinating thing because there are so many out in the world, and it's because you figure everything has to be drawn. Exactly. So even if like you have a like a three-minute-long Looney Tunes or whatever, that's thousands of cells. Right. So there's plenty out there to go around. For this movie, I have to imagine, it's cult status. Yeah. These things are everywhere. They, they're, it seems very accessible. And I would not want to touch any of nope. them. Nope, I don't want any of them secondhand. <laughs> no, thank you. Because obviously the ones that are being circulated aren't like the middle scenes where everybody's <laughs> right. clothed. <laughs> just this one guy they who's managed like managed to find like an STD that never existed it's because of the ink mixed with the plastic cells it's like how did this happen heavy metal is, uh, is starting a new pandemic meanwhile there's just one guy who's like i just really like captain stern's little egg-shaped one-eyed robot oh right why can't i get his his cells <laughs> that's the one you need to worry about the most like just imagine someone going to like a doctor like oh what's wrong with me duck do you happen to have an animation cell from Heavy Metal? <laughs> I do. I bought it on eBay. You got a Tardakian. 
This is I haven't seen one of these in decades, man. <laughs> you need to quarantine immediately. You do. I do too. And stop touching yourself, you fucking creep. <laughs> She's animated and not real. Exactly. God, save it for the weebs. You almost destroyed me on that one. (laughs) That's a group I don't understand. Like, to that extent, I understand anime, and anime is awesome. Yeah. There's a lot of great stories, but the ones are just, like, buying it for the the looks. Yeah, yeah. It's not Big Willie style. Like, that's not how that works. You don't buy these things for the looks and don't light it. Right. No one does right. that. Yeah. Gross. Yuck. Uh-huh. So Tara's also going to pull a golden sword from a magic puddle. Of course. Because <laughs> she needs a weapon, too. Right. To complete this string bikini armor. Of course. <laughs> because she took so long getting to the armor and putting it on, she obviously gets to this massacre a little too late. Right. She rides her bird. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and this bird just keeps going... This pterodactyl like, pigeon no! thing. No! Yo, why do I exist? No! no! <laughs> it makes the most horrific sound of oh, all Oh, this thing is the worst. <laughs> like, I'm half surprised that the mole from the South Park movie didn't come out and be like, I heard a dying draft sound. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, there's like a, a part of the code of the, of the Terrakian that... If you if you don't protect the people, which is you know job one, job two is to avenge them. So okay, so it seems like they're going instantly to job two because she's so busy trying to get the audience off. Yeah, yeah, she's like, I'm gonna dress real slowly, and everybody's gonna die. So I'm gonna have to avenge them. I'm gonna not have to really do- a part one type person. <laughs> I'm all about the part. And two. unfortunately, last Tarakian, I'm all you got. So it's true. You're gonna die you're on my schedule. I'll avenge you though. <laughs> So she gets on her weird pterodactyl pigeon thing, and she searches for the barbarians. And she finds them, well, three of them at least, at this bar that she goes to looking for answers. And they harass her, because of course they do. And she beheads them. Yep. It's great. I love it. I also love that this character has no lines. Not even played by anybody, as Brian would say. She is, that's right. She's just silent and deadly and awesome. Yeah. Kicks all the ass. She kicks so much ass. The bartender's like, all right, they're over there. Go that way. <laughs> Please don't behead me. And then she's flying through the canyon on her fat pterodactyl, and she gets captured by the barbarians. because In a net. They threw a net. It's not even like a space net. This is some sort of like all-powerful warrior, the last of her kind, and they're like, get her with the ropes tied together. Got her. <laughs> Nailed it. Thrilling. The leader of the barbarians has her stripped. Of and, course he does. And then he whips her. With, Which I was surprised it didn't show, honestly. I, You know what? The tone of this movie, I'm a little surprised they didn't show it either. But there you go. I'm glad this movie found like the tiniest bit of morality. Right. It's like, here. all right, that's the line, man. <laughs> I can see like the director of this thing going like, we shouldn't even bother animating her getting whipped. I mean, if they're this far into the movie, they're all empty anyway. <laughs> oh. And they leave her for dead on the ledge of some sort of bottomless pit thing. Not just, down the bottomless pit thing. Right. Just on the There's ledge. There's like, like, a, like a halfway point. <laughs> right. Which is not a thing if it's bottomless, but you know. Like, <laughs> you know what Brian's talking about. <laughs> semi-ways down, there's a ledge, and they're like, leave her there. And then they throw just a random guy down to show us that it's bottomless. Right. 
which I don't know what that's about. This guy will show you. Yeah, you you don't want to (laughs) fall. That'll be bad. So, you know, starve there on that ledge, I guess. I guess. That's our game plan. Sure. The barbarians have also strung up her bird thing and are using it for (laughs) target practice. But, you know, they're not very good at shooting things, so the bird breaks free and rescues Tarna. Right, but this bird is pretty fucked at this point. Oh, yeah. He's got, like, holes in him and, like... Bird is not having a good day. He's having a bad day. He's he's all kinds of messed up. So the pterodactyl duck hybrid is shot out of the air after he rescues her, and it's going to force a showdown between Tarn and the barbarian leader. They're going mano y wamano. (laughs) It's exactly it. She takes a couple hits from his Dremel tool hand. Which is awesome. Super cool. It's a cool looking weapon. He's got a cool hand that spins around Horribly impractical. Oh, God. It would (laughs) never be practical. Luckily, this bird monster distracts the barbarian leader <laughs> long enough that she makes him use his Dremel on his own throat and or chest area. Right. Either way, that's fatal. Sure. You try taking a tiny saw to the sternum and see how you feel. I won't feel good. No. Probably be just as dead as this guy with his green blood. A lot of green blood? I swear he had green blood. He did? So Tarna gets on her half-dead flying abomination and readies her <laughs> final attack on Lochnar. And Lochnar's like, don't sacrifice yourself. You can't beat me, which is exactly what somebody would say if you could sacrifice yourself and beat them. That's exactly it. So she does. She raises her golden sword and goes full Odin and Ragnarok and turns into a bunch of fireflies or something. <laughs> well, and we'll never know what it's all about. That's we'll what it takes know. to destroy Lochnar. And we see that because... We go back to the little girl who's getting told the story. Yeah, we go to the epilogue, and it turns out that Lochnar shouldn't tell that story because that's the story that makes it blow up. Right, but I don't even know if it's like, this is happening like real time? No idea. No idea. So it's like, they bookended this movie with just the end. Yeah. And yeah. that's confusing. They like, they make it seem like there's one Lochnar, and he's just telling the story about all this stuff he's done, but now he's telling the story about how he got defeated but he's not defeated, but now he's getting defeated. Right. It's super confusing. Drugs are a hell of a drug. Yeah, I'll say. The girl runs from the house, and for just a second, we're not animated. No, because it's because they ran out of time. Yeah, I love that. They were like, yeah, we were supposed to rotoscope the house blowing up too, but- Fuck it. They moved the movie date up a month, so we're like, all right, I guess it's going to be a live action explosion. Fine. It looks like a miniature. Has Sure does. (laughs) Knocked out from the blast, the girl awakens in the grass somewhere, and she sees a purple version of that damn pterodactyl goose hell spawn. <laughs> and without question, she jumps on its back, and then her hair turns white, and she gets the same neck tattoo as Tarna. And I guess it. She's like the new Tarna. She's yeah, the new she's Tardakian. The new last Tarakian warrior. Right. I didn't know it was a transferable title. Well, you know what? It's like Green Lantern. If you know what, for the amount that we've seen in this movie, <laughs> this seems like the appropriate ending. Yeah, you're right. I of guess... just, how do you want to end it? I don't <laughs> fucking care. <laughs> you know that little girl we've been torturing the whole time? I don't know. Make her the new defender against multiversal MacGuffin narrators. Right. That's exactly what they said <laughs> in the production room when they pitched this. That's the movie. And that is Heavy Metal from 1981. Directed by et al. Yeah. Wow. This is a movie, mostly because I got told it was. Yeah, somebody said it was a movie, and I believe them because this is I rented an it. an experience. <laughs> you have to experience this film. Uh, maybe don't do it sober. 
I feel like that's uh, that would be bad advice to tell somebody to do it sober. Yeah, you're really making them miss out. You're the asshole. Right. Like, I can't believe you made me do that. Right. <laughs> Overall, it's an okay movie. Yeah. It happened. I witnessed I, it. I'm not upset that I saw it. because I agree. It is a massive cult classic. It has huge inspired countless creators to the point that this thing has been been talked about being like remade or redone oh, even yeah. after Heavy Metal 2000 which was a thing apparently did not do well no so but the people who are behind what they want to be like a remake of it Tim Miller yep of Deadpool fame yeah David Fincher Guillermo del Toro Zack Snyder Gore Verbinski James Cameron Jimmy Cams Jack Black of Tenacious D like, the amount of people who want to continue this thing. Yeah. It's just fucking wild. It's a, it's a lot. And I think the biggest name here that I didn't even bother saying is because he would be like the the nail in the coffin of getting this thing done. Robert Rodriguez. Robert Rodriguez. He actually got the rights in 2011, and he was like, I'm going to do it as an animated series. And then when it finally launched on Netflix in 2019, it was completely reimagined as Love, Death, and Robots. Exactly. Which is... Not the same thing. No, not even close. <laughs> so I don't know what happened along the way, but. You got me. Plot twists. Uh, sure. <laughs> IRL. <laughs> As I ask you every single week, Rotten Tomatoes 1 to 100, what are you thinking? 50. That is a cop-out answer and you know it. Yeah, that's because I, <laughs> I can't decide. I got to put myself in an 81 frame of mind and I feel like. Half of them liked it and half of them didn't. More than half liked it. Okay. 60%. Nice. 67% audience score. Roger Ebert did not see this movie or at least did not write about it, did not live long enough to tell the tale. Surprising. Some people who did see this, though. Janet Maslin from the New York Times. Fuck me, man. I'm trying to read these off of Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> yeah. And I guess uh, there's a Peacock original, the John Wayne Gacy Devil in Disguise coming up. Oh, there's okay. a picture of John Wayne Gacy in cloud makeup staring <laughs> at me. I'm trying to read this. And yeah, I hate it. I that hate would it make so it difficult, much. I think. <laughs> I got to hold my hand up there. God, I hate it. <laughs> Janet Maslin, New York Times, she says. Heavy metal has been animated with great verve and scored very well, with music much less ear-splitting than the title would suggest. That's true. And we'll get there. We will absolutely get there. Bruce Reed from Film.com says, Asked if I wanted to see it again, I figured, why not? I would have remembered if it was really bad, but memory does play tricks. <laughs> that's that's uh, that's a good review right there. I mean, it's not a good review, but it's a... It's a review. It's a good review. <laughs> and since we don't have Roger Ebert, we do have Gene Siskel. Oh, I love it. He said, initial segments have a boisterous blend of dynamic graphics, intriguing plot premises, and sly wit that unfortunately slide gradually downhill. Yeah, okay. <laughs> And the last critical one I have is from Time Out, Derek Adams says, Fantasies that are gratuitously sexist and fascist, macho-whoring and warmongering, and whose roots reach all the way back to post-hippie paranoia, feed the tangled plot lines of a movie that should disappoint even the teenage wet dreamers. <laughs> it came full circle. It did. Uh, yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I've ever heard so many positive and negative reviews that I agreed with all of. He gave it a rotten. <laughs> or at least Rotten Tomatoes deemed it rotten. Yeah. I agreed with both the positive and negative reviews there. And that's 
fair. That's that explains a lot. 50%. Yeah. So there it is. <laughs> hey, you're the real villain here. That's what it comes down to yeah. by going 50%. So the Brian Pets is on Amazon. Oh, I don't like that. They gave this a 4.7 out of 5. 81% are five star, only 2% are one star. That's surprising. That's really not much, man. Yeah. From August 21st, 2018, I love heavy metal. This movie tarnishes <laughs> heavy metal. The stories are juvenile and uninteresting. It's basically got cartoon porn scenes lame. They were talking about the music. The music. I love heavy metal. The music. Also, I hate heavy metal. It's like, that's confusing. It just took me on a real trip uh-huh. there. <laughs> From August 27, 2019, I want to like it, but when everyone involved starts off with a disclaimer to excuse their involvement, you know what you have in hands. <laughs> good point it's a very good point valid (laughs) and the last one i have is from january 25th 2010 has this sorry excuse for a cartoon to do with heavy metal it's definitely not in the music here is the soundtrack according to amazon (laughs) sammy hagar Riggs, devo blue oyster cult cheap trick don felder (laughs) donald fagan nazareth journey Grand Funk Railroad, Black <laughs> Sabbath, The Trust, Stevie Nicks. The only metal in here, at least, that I can hear is Mob Rules. Yeah, I mean, not a incorrect thing to say. Right. And this comes from Heavy Metal Magazine. That's right. So I think the point is missed. Ah, uh, yeah. It just really goes off of the title of the magazine, not so much the music. Right. That's he didn't use iron at all in that suit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. That said, bangers you listed there. Those are big bands. Oh, they're big names for sure. So, Absolutely. Nothing to sleep on. No, nothing to sleep on. Maybe nothing to release for years and years because of copyright issues. Exactly. <laughs> you want to give this thing a super soft score? Yeah, I think we could do that. But first... And now for another edition of the Cape Podcasters Theater. I can't even imagine what you have for this one. I have one that I feel like could only be appropriate for this one. We might be able to use it again at another point. Could have, possibly, but it feels most appropriate for this episode. Okay. I'm going to start off just by telling you, I'm going to be doing the narration in the part of man. <laughs> okay. You're going to be start. doing... You're going to be doing the part of woman and the MILF. My dream come true. Because Keaton Patty forced a bot to watch a thousand hours of porn. <laughs> Just outright porn. And then asked it to write a porn <laughs> of its own. And here is the first page. Fantastic. Porn. Interior. Sex crate. A woman and a man sit at a table. Hot. The man is tutor and the woman is a school. They are unhappy in clothes. Math is not horny. Numbers don't hump sex. Let's kill them? You were my stepsister. My stepsister (laughs) must know fractions. The man thrusts off his shirt and writes all of math on his chest genital. The woman learns it with her tongue. Oh, moan, moan, moat. I am getting soggy with the knowledge. You're my stepsister. We moist stop. Oh, God. What if the MILF comes home? MILF is legend, not real. A door opens. The MILF has come home. Oh, God, he had a MILF voice. Is real. The MILF is half mom, half cougar, half co-ed, half foot. 
<laughs> the milk sees the math sex and her breasts scream with shock. No, this is legal, barely. The trouble you are in is tight. You asked for it, Brian. I know. You asked for it. I know. <laughs> this is only education. Yes, then I shall help school. You're my step milf, but fine. <laughs> the milf joins for a way of three. All clothing on planet disappears. It is the hour of sex, and everything is hard. I am 18. 18 is math. Woman has learned. Sex is the professor. <laughs> I need both a, an adult and a shower. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, I feel violated. Sounds about right. And I hate it. Speaking of violating you. What? No. What? <laughs> Why don't we give this thing a super stuff score? This is going to be hard. You think? Because there's a lot to go on here. Right. Just start with story and motivation. Ah, uh, we got a through line at best. Kind of. <laughs> there's a green circle in all of them. Right. <laughs> and that's something. Yeah. I, I, there, are, there is connective tissue. It's like Ice Cream Man. And if no one's read that comic, you should. Because there's so little connective tissue, but it's there. It's enough. All right. I'm going to go .25 for Ice Cream Man. <laughs> that feels appropriate. Hero. I have no idea. Yeah, that's, this is, is it the little girl? I don't know. I don't think there is a hero. Or there's tons of them. Only one defeats the villain. The villain that they're facing. Oh, dear. Oh. I'm going to go zero. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. I think Hero, there's, it's too obfuscated. That's a great word. You've learned education because of the sex that we talked about. I was going to say, heavy metal was teacher. That's right. <laughs> Villains. I'm also going to go zero. <laughs> yeah, I think it's Lochnar. It is Lochnar, for sure. Pretty easy to nail down. He is a glowing green orb. And As we said, a Marlon Brando wet dream. Literally just a MacGuffin narrator. Uh, zero. Which is a wild combination. It is. Zero indeed. Parents? If we don't have a hero, we don't have, we don't have parents. We don't have parents. So let's go zero again. Zero again. We're cruising right now. Female characters. Okay. This is. I was worried about this. This one. is tough. I th I think we should start at a negative one. I think that's a fair place to start. You know, let's just call it a day. And I think we call it a day because of what this movie is and what it is supposed to be. Yeah. It is very much purposely making female characters out the way that it is. Right. And it is very much a sign of the times and the sign of the audience that they were going for because- Absolutely. It is trying to capture that National Lampoon audience. Right. It is trying to be Fantasia for horny teenage boys. Right. Let's just call it a negative one and negative one move on. Is, especially when you don't name half of your female characters, Correct. negative one is Generous. a safe place to be. Generous. I do think they- they recover some of that with Tarna being like the main hero here, and she's badass. But, but, but <laughs> they still don't treat her well. Right. I watched her put clothes on. Yes. Erotically. Erotically. And that is, I was going to solidify that in a negative one. Yes. Generous. S generous negative generous one. Negative Extremely one. generous. Cannot state enough. Right. Just how generous a negative one is <laughs> for this category. Setting. It's everywhere. It is happening in so many different 
times and places. And it establishes them pretty well. It does a decent stories. job. I'm going to go point 0.5. I think point 0.5 is appropriate. I think some of this is, is very hard to grasp setting-wise, but I think some of it's very well done. I agree. So point 0.5 is the perfect cop-out to do. Exactly. Style and tone. The animation style is interesting because it's very Robert Crumb, in my mind, where it has that certain choppiness yeah. to it. Yeah. The style changes so much depending on on which story it is. Too. It does, which is, I actually think is kind of neat. I think that's awesome, and it, it really builds helps the lore it. Yeah. of the actual making of this film. Yeah, and I think that's pretty cool, and it makes it feel like the magazine it's based off of, which right. has multiple contributors. I'm gonna go one. I agree. I think one is deserved here at least, and that's gonna bring us to music. We're gonna start at one. We're definitely gonna start at one. I'm thinking of leaving it there. Elmer Bernstein's back from last week. He and, is. And his score is not as big as the actual soundtrack on this one, but when his score shows up, it hits. And it's especially in that last segment, Tarna, where he's just showing off. Oh, absolutely. And it's weird because the one that stands out to me in this one is Faithfully by Journey. <laughs> Faithfully by Journey definitely stands out. And it's because it's early on and it's during like a love scene and it's Faithfully. It's, and it's yeah. like, taxi driver who literally just met this girl <laughs> i think it's just so funny the way that it goes <laughs> uh i'm gonna go one five one five i agree a solid soundtrack like i might actually have to purchase this one i have looked it up on vinyl already <laughs> yeah it, you know what i wouldn't hate having it in the collection <laughs> one-liners i got nothing i i can't remember are you circumcised i don't know that's I very got, funny it's funny I don't know. This if you movie... please me, I will let you live. <laughs> Which is a great line. Nosedive? 0.25. 0.25. I think we've thought of enough things from it to justify a 0.25. And finally, impact on the genre. What genre? I I guess comic book movies is what we tend to talk about here, but does this fall within that? It does. It is a comic book movie yeah. proper. I can't tell what direction to go, mostly because I read in one place that this was briefly the top grossing Canadian-made movie. I did read that. And then it got dethroned by Porky's. Right. Because Canada loves their smut. They won't apologize for that. They'll apologize for everything else, but not that. Right. That's the one thing they're not sorry about. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) They go bar down consistently on this type of movie. Absolutely. Always go bar down only counts if you go bar down. But when it comes to the impact on the industry that we're talking about, the comic book movies, it's not terribly large. Possibly you might get some James Gunn out of it just from the soundtrack yeah. putting into a film. Yeah. But again, it has influenced a lot of other things, like Adult Swim probably as a whole. Yeah. South Park. Without a doubt. Will Ferrell has also paid tribute to this movie in yeah. some of the things that he's done. I'm going to go Oh, I'd tricky, be, tricky. I'd be hard pressed to say that Rob Liefeld did not have some kind of influence from this movie when creating Deadpool. Let's go point two five to I acknowledge there's something there. There's definitely something. It, just in that it's inspired so many filmmakers that at some point it has to have touched the genre. Without a doubt. And that is going to give Heavy Metal a total score of 2.75. I'm weirdly okay with that. That feels like an appropriate place. <laughs> you know, it's... It's not a masterpiece. It's not something that you're going to be like, oh, ho, ho, you got to watch this all the time. Right. But it's definitely an experience. It's something that you, you should see once. It's a midnight movie. 
It is. That's exactly what exactly it is. Exactly what it is. It's a midnight movie. I recommend it. I, yeah, I would not. I don't think you'd be upset having seen it once. No, maybe don't watch it with your wife and kids. No, that's that's a mistake. It is a big mistake. Unless you got a cool wife and cool kids. Hell yeah. Well, maybe not cool kids. You still, your, I would still like, say don't watch it with the kids. Four year old sons high fiving each other over mom on the couch. Boobies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, it's worth a watch. Yeah, I think it's worth seeing, and that's you know. That's my shallow end recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> Just dip your toe into that wreck. That's pretty fair. <laughs> and on that note, I don't think I could delay any longer asking the question by saying that everyone should watch heavy metal. Brian. Yes. Note the tone of my voice. Now deadpan it is. <laughs> what are we talking about next week? It's up to Roger Ebert. Yeah, it is. So we're going to do the old Ouija board. Should we summon him just like they summon the Tarakan yeah. in this? Yeah, okay. Roger. Roger. Come Roger here. Ebert. Come, come Roger. Come Tell here. us what movie <laughs> we should watch, and then we die, and then he shows up. Exactly. A little bit too late, but he makes it. I saw Brian move his finger over the Ouija board that is random.org. <laughs> that is the <laughs> URL of the Ouija board. What do you got? We're going to be talking about the 2014 Scarlett Johansson movie, Lucy. Oh. Yeah. I've never seen it. I think I've seen it once. Any memory? Any thoughts? Uh, Reactions? Anything? I certainly didn't have my brain access 100% of its potential. I'll tell you that. Fair enough. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I'm excited for it. Directed by Luc Besson. That's why. Weirdly enough, also directed The Fifth Element. So there you go. We've, We've done it. It always comes full circle somehow. Roger finds a way. Exactly. So there you go. Next week, Lucy. Lucy. She's got some explaining to do. She does. Until then, be sure to rate, review, subscribe on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. Like and follow us on our sorted social media, at Kate Podcasters. We're on all of the things. In fact, head on over to Letterboxd to see if this movie cracks our bottom 10. <laughs> <laughs> we do stay very up to date on our Letterboxd. Join us on Patreon for our monthly exclusive not-so-super movies. Last month we did the Italian job. This month we're doing Forrest Gump. Oh, yeah. So join up so you can listen to that when it drops. It's, it's a be long a... one. It's a lot of fun. It's long, but it's so much fun. Stay tuned later this week for more Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We're getting close to the end of that one. It's amazing to think that. Which is wild because I still have no idea how they're going to wrap this all up. I have no clue. So a fun adventure there. If you have anything you want to talk to us about, send your questions or send your comments to gmail.com. Also, check out our Facebook page on the days we record, which is Monday, same day we drop episodes, because we always throw up a, a teaser of what we're talking about and ask for questions. And speaking of that, we got two. Okay. Read Peter. He wants to know, what's your favorite song on this soundtrack? That's a great question. I'm still going, Journey. Faithfully, faithfully on heavy metal. Faithfully on heavy metal is so ironic that it's hard not to pick it. I do like that Hagar song. It's pretty good. And and you know I feel a little dirty saying it because it's Sammy Hagar, but I kind of like that heavy metal song. I think it's a great title song. Yeah, you're not wrong there. And I'm always a fan of Grand Funk Railroad. How could you not be? You're only human, Brian. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I haven't achieved orb status exactly. yet. Exactly. Give it time. <laughs> And piggybacking on that, the ginger skull Dave Novak. Oh, no. He wrote and he said, hey, guys, 
First time, long time. Yeah, of course. I'll ask my question to hang up. <laughs> <laughs> if you're remaking this movie in the year of our Lord 2021, yeah. what song are you putting on the trailer to really get the people going? Shania Twain's Man, I Feel Like a Woman. Really? <laughs> Absolutely. But it's got to be like like a death metal cover of it. Okay. And I'm going to kind of <laughs> go in that direction, too. I'm going to do Sounds of Silence. Oh, I like it. But the Disturbed, the disturbed cover. I actually really dig that. I love that version. So, yeah, I would. based on that, I would watch that movie. I would absolutely watch that movie. <laughs> Your answer was better than mine. Yeah, well, I put some thought into it. and You just said Shania Twain. I'm sorry. Do you not get all riled up when she's like, let's go, girls? I don't. <laughs> For so many reasons. All right. Just me. You do, you queen. You do, you. <laughs> yes. Read Peter. Dave Novak. I'll thank one of you. <laughs> Fight amongst yourselves. Dave's the other one. Oh, okay. <laughs> thank you, guys. Brian, you got anything else? That's it. Fantastic. We're going to see you guys next week for Lucy. Same pod time. Same pod nougat.